Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Caraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Law. With me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? Also with me, first lieutenant in the Nick Diaz army, Lavender Gooms. I'm sorry, but I've been promoted recently. I'm now a captain. You know what? I'm just wondering what Nate's title is, you know, because Nick Diaz might just be a figurehead at this point in the Nick Diaz army. (laughs) Not sure what he's actually doing and running the show. I mean, Nate Diaz is obviously like one of the four-star generals in the Nick Diaz army. He's like fucking, what's the name of the guy running Cuba now? Not Fidel. Raul? He's the brother that's basically, you know, just deputy in charge of all this shit. Um, Kid Presentable got the got sick, so he's out this week. We should have him back next week. Um, so it's the responsibility of us three to fawn over... Um, the favorite fighter of this podcast, I'd say, collectively. Maybe not everybody's individual favorite fighter, but if we had to agree on one, the flag bearer, Nathan Donald Diaz, returned to a fucking... Do you think it's a coincidence that Stefan's not here and he's yeah, the only one uh, He didn't want to deal with the back talk. <laughs> the traitor who didn't pick Nate Diaz? Look, Stefan just, you know, look, I'll pick Anthony Pettis, and if he wins, look how smart I am. But if he loses, oh, you know what? My guy won still. It's okay. No, you know what? No excuse, no forgiveness. You pick against the Diaz brother. You are excommunicado. That should count as like five losses for him. To, to be fair, all week after we had this podcast last week, I was telling Bobby like, man, I think Pettis is going to knock out Nate Diaz. I remember the Josh Thompson fight where he got <laughs> head kicked upside the dome and knocked out. That's kind of what Pettis yeah, does really you know what? well. We were well too. We talked about it. We were both worried. I did make the point like, man, he got knocked out one time. Just one time, okay? <laughs> and none of us none of us last week were saying, oh, man, Nate's going to have the technical edge. These three years off is going to do so much good for him. No, all of us picked with our hearts, all right? All of us thought Pettis was going to win. But well, I mean, look, all we all, I think we all, in the army. And when you're a captain of the Nick, Nick Diaz army, you don't pick against Nate Diaz. Look, I do think, I mean, we didn't all talk about the fact that Nathan's a pressure fighter. And Pettis is not the biggest fan of that necessarily. Um, didn't expect him to go full Randy Couture. Um, let's just, you know, get into what exactly. We should probably talk about the main event, actually. What am I talking about? We got ourselves a new heavyweight champion of the world. Last week, you said Nate Diaz was the main event. I know. Then you, you took great offense. So let's talk about the heavyweights, which were very much an afterthought compared to the king of the fucking 209 over there. I straight up told the people I was watching it with after the Nate Diaz fight, I could go home right now. I really don't give a shit. <laughs> Were you getting hyped when you were watching? Oh, oh man. I was I was a fool over at, at our my friend Rudy's house. Well, first of all, let's appro- one Diaz. second. One second. We should probably talk about the heavyweight fight. I was gonna say one second. First of all, it was our boy uh Lavender Gooms is here birthday on Saturday. You know, so old man. Gooms over here got a little, got his drink on a little bit before an AD fight. I'm assuming just a little sippy sip, and uh, I did remember 
because when this fight was announced, I said, Mike, do you want to go to Anaheim for your birthday? And Mike gave me a look like, I don't have Anaheim money right now, Bobby. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, let's just fucking talk about the main event because we're going to force ourselves to. We no, we no longer have the UFC heavyweight champion in San Jose, Marcus. Daniel Cormier went into this fight with the strategy of, I'm going to block all this shit with my face and body. Um, it seemed to work for three rounds. Then it really didn't work in the fourth. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, DC showed some some good stuff in this fight, but a lot of it was... And, and we've seen... DC kind of have to implore this type of fight strategy when it comes to the stand-up where look at the guy's kind of short for for heavyweight he's short and his reach is not very long and Stipe is a much taller longer reach guy so if for him to get into range he either needs to have class a footwork where he's going to be able to slip in and out of uh you know basically getting in and out of the pocket scoring punches and getting out or he's got to stand right in front of the dude's face and just make it a telephone booth fight and he picked the the latter because I don't think the former is really a style that DC or even a lot of fighters can do very well. And there's a lot of risks um, in implementing a in and out strategy. If you don't time things right, you can easily get countered and the night could end very quickly for you. But yeah, DC had to get right in his grill. And what was most um, kind of surprising about this fight is just that Stipe couldn't stop him from getting in the pocket and literally just walking up to his face and just like, I'm going to grab your hands. I'll start punching you. Because um, every time DC is able to touch Stipe, Stipe could touch him two to three inches before that. Marcus, real quick, I think it was the end of the first round where we were both like, that went as bad as possible for Stipe almost. Like, he was getting touched up badly by well, the end of the first round. DC also was able to score a really good takedown in the first and was able to ride on top of uh, Stipe. And I think that is a strategy that I wish he would have been able to implement in the second and third round, and especially in the fourth when the tide started to change. Basically, how this fight went, the first round, like Bobby mentioned, was went very well for Daniel Cormier. I mean, there was a couple exchanges where he took some shots. He gave a lot to Stipe, but ultimately he was able to wrestle Stipe down to the ground and ride on top of him. And DC is a big, heavy guy, and he knows, you know, as a collegiate wrestler of his stature, he knows how to make guys carry his weight when he's riding on top of you. Him and Habib are masterclass at just making the guys on the bottom really work. And I, and I think it, it paid dividends on Stipe. I think his stamina took a, a big shot in this first round, not just because of the damage he accumulated, which was quite a bit, but also the grappling exchanges, working on the bottom, trying to get back up, DC taking your back, doing the whole exchange again. Um, the second and third round was a lot more of DC doing what I mentioned before, just standing in the pocket and throwing jabs in, uh, you know, right straights when, when the opportunities ar arose and was winning the fight that way. You know, he was marking Stipe up pretty bad. His face was getting busted. He was getting bruised up. Yeah, and uh, people might have caught, despite him winning his corner, at one point Bob Cook said, I'm begging you, put your hands up. Because he just was ignoring all of their advice at some point, it seemed like. Yeah, in, in, in DC, you know, to Stipe's credit, was taking some good shots in this. What he did to negate a lot, because when you watch this fight, you'll see Stipe hits him with a lot of right straights and a lot of jabs where a lot of guys would be getting dazed taking significant damage and what dc does to negate a lot of that is he uses his head movement to negate some of the impact of his stronger punches now this is head movement not to to basically slip or dodge a punch but basically to take the impact of the punch and to move with it 
kind of negating how much power a punch has. I mean, if you kind of think about if you just punch a hard wall that has no give, the impact of your punch is going to be a lot more impactful, so much so that you might end up breaking your wrist or hand or bones. When you punch something that has give like a punching bag or a speed bag, the impact isn't nearly as much because the object that you're hitting has give and moves with the power of your punch. And that's what DC was doing. That's what a lot of top boxers, Nate Diaz um, and the Diaz brothers utilize it really well. Um, one of the cons of implementing that kind of strategy to negate some of the power is that on film, if you're a judge who doesn't really know about this technique to negate the damage, it makes it, it can make the punches look even more impactful because you're basically getting hit and you're moving your head with the punch. You're snapping your head back. It could, to the untrained eye, look like, oh, man, this guy's really getting walloped really hard. But really what he's doing is lessening the impact of the punches. That's what DC was able to do in these first three rounds to negate a lot of the power that he was getting from Stipe. Stipe in the fourth, me and Bobby recognized it. I think everyone kind of recognized it. When he finally went to the liver with the left hook to the body, it landed so flush that first time that even Stipe was like, okay. This is, this is a target that I can hit, one, because and it was actually a really perfect strategy for Stipe. And, and I want to rewatch this fight just to see if the corner picked up on this. And this is something that his corner advised him to do. Or is it something that Stipe just decided, because most of the fight he was headhunting. DC and Stipe were both just headhunting at each other, sitting in the pocket. He, trying start, to he started to look like he was demoralized at a certain point. But like, why the fuck isn't this guy going anywhere? I've hit him with everything. <laughs> I, yeah, I totally agree, Bobby. You can look at Stipe's face after the first round and... There's still he's still game, but it, it looked a little drawn. He just looked like he was looking past DC and was kind of just like kind of focused in that zone of being in a fight and not really maybe it didn't seem like maybe he was thinking about what adjustments I need to make at this moment. In the fourth round, when he finally did go to the liver, why it works so perfectly is because DC's right in range. Um, a lot of the times people are a little hesitant to go to the body because you have to you have to get in the pocket. You can't really, especially with a left hook, you can't hit that punch from a distance you have to be in range of the other fighter and when you go to the body you do kind of leave whatever arm you're throwing that that side of your head is also exposed so you could get countered um in these instances stipe was so close to dc he could land that liver punch repeatedly over and over again and he did and to dc's credit and to some of his anatomy you know we might kind of i i said you know a lot of times like you look at dc he's a big guy he has a big gut he has a big mass in his uh you know solar plex region and i think to his detriment and to his his help a little bit in these areas one to his detriment it's a big area he has a big body mass there that is a big target that's easy to hit and why i get so frustrated why more fighters don't go to the body because like i mentioned before with dc you can move the head to negate some of the impact of the punches you can't use head movement on your body. Your body is very stationary. You have to get out of the pocket or move to the side to basically dodge a punch. And when you're in as close as DC was, you basically can't. Yeah, Marcus, that uh, reminds me, years ago, we used to talk about Anderson Silva, and you're like, people should just punch him in his body. The body's not moving. The head's moving. And I remember famously when Weidman did beat Anderson Silva, what his corner told him after round one was, punch him in the fucking chest. Because that part's not moving. So, yeah. Go to the body. Yeah. And as, by the way, as someone who shares DC's physique to some level, uh, some uh, on some level here, me and I got myself a gut. Just because you got a big layer surrounding the, the big gut there, 
is not protection because you get hit there, it just ripples down, man. There's it, no saving. What I was you. gonna what I was gonna mention is that it, it, yeah, it doesn't. It's not full protection, but I think if DC didn't have as much girth there, he took a like what'd you say, like 13, 14 I, I think it was thirteen or fourteen. Very short amount of time in that fourth round. Yeah, I would I would be shocked if a if a man of a different physique won, it would be probably harder to hit clean liver shots like Stipe was, but I don't think a lot of people are gonna survive that many hard left hooks to the body if there's not some cushion there. Now what it does, now while DC's body didn't shut down on him, it slowed him down significantly to the point where, like I mentioned before, he didn't have the stamina or reflexes after taking so many of those body shots to do what he was doing before, which was to negate some of the hard strikes to the head with his head movement. He started just absorbing those shots, and that's ultimately how Stipe won this fight. Um, you have to look at the body shots as the setup to the finish because they slowed DC to, to such a pace that he couldn't intelligently defend himself against Stipe's stronger right hands, which he basically succumbed to. Um, and it was a little heartbreaking. I think um, we all picked DC. I know me and Stefan Bob, because he's such a local boy, we were really rooting for him, which always makes it kind of tough because I hate getting emotionally invested because then there's more pressure on the outcome of the fight, and I really want DC to win. But, you know, hats off to Stipe to, to make that adjustment when he was clearly losing this fight. Um, he had to do something, and it didn't seem like he had anything in him in that fourth round until that punch, that left hook to the body materialized, and he was able to not only make that adjustment, but recognize, like, this is working, this is a path to victory, and he snatched it. Great. So, um, hats off to Stipe. That's some championship-level medal right there. Mike, um, let's get into it, man. We got Daniel Cormier, 40 years old, said he was going to be done by 40. He didn't get the Brock fight because... Daddy Vince kept paying. Um, they talked to him after this fight because Joe Rogan explained why he still talked to DC because he said, look, it didn't look like he was knocked unconscious or anything. Um, he got knocked around a bit after the body went down, but like, and Joe's like, I love DC. He's one of my broadcast partners, but I thought this might be the last time we talked to him. And I didn't expect him to make their decision, but I wanted to give him the opportunity to say something. And I asked him beforehand, are you okay with talking to me right now? So that is aside. Mike, we got, um, I think there's only two real options for this man if he's not going to retire. So three options, including retirement. John Jones at 205. Immediate rematch with Stipe Miosic. Retirement. Man's got two losses. Arguably to the greatest heavyweight ever and to the greatest light heavyweight ever. Um, what do you think, man? You coming back or not? Well, I thought for sure he was going to retire on Saturday, actually, because I saw that he took off his gloves while he was still in the ring. And I thought, oh, he's going to do that wrestler thing where they, well, now MMA thing where they just leave their gloves in the center of the ring to signify well, the retirement. Wrestlers so I thought leave he was going to do it then. But. My thought is I think he should get a, a rematch with Stipe. Um, obviously, he won the first fight. This fight, arguably, in my head, he was winning the first three rounds, or at the very least, the, the, the most scorecards had that round exactly. was arguable. Mike's most scorecards had that exactly. And what I was thinking, even in the third round, was why isn't this man wrestling anymore? Why isn't he going for the takedowns? And sure enough, it caught up to him in the fourth round. And Stipe, I'm like a Stipe, uh, 
DC even talked about it, that he was stupid, that he didn't listen to his corner, that they were imploring him to, to, to wrestle. So while a hat's off to Stipe, I think a lot of this can be attributed to, for some reason, DC had a bit of a mental lapse where he saw that Stipe's face was getting cut up and beat up, and he started headhunting. He started falling in love with, uh, with his stand-up in that particular moment. So I think DC deserves uh, another title shot against Stipe. At this point, I think a rubber match is, is warranted in this case. And if he doesn't get the rematch with Stipe, in my head, I think that should be it. Because at least with the Stipe third possible rubber match, they, they're one and one. One of them got knocked out, then the other got TKO'd. In the Jones fight, honestly, I have no interest in seeing a third Jones fight. Um, DC lost handily on both occasions. And I don't want to see him down at 205 again. I don't understand why DC wants to go back down to 205. So for me, there's only one real option um, when it comes to him fighting again. All right. Um, I don't want to see him fight anymore. Honestly, I'm kind of done. I recognize what this is, but uh, I hope that's it because I really don't need to see him at 205. Um, it's got John Jones talking about Brock Lesnar today, folks. So let's just book that shit. Okay. Let's let DC go home. Um, yeah. Uh, Marcus, what do you think? Uh, I, I mostly agreed with the sentiments that you and Mike said. I mean, a, a rematch with Stipe, if he really wants to do it, I'm totally for, I, I do lean more heavily on him just retiring at this point, you know, at 40, I feel like. What has kind of negated DC probably throughout his whole career is not always being seen as the best at what he does, right? He's always second fiddle when it came to um, the light heavyweight division, when it came to the Olympics first, when it came to light heavyweight division, John Jones beat him. And it wasn't until he moved, moved back up and beat Stipe, he got the double belts. I think ideally, if you could reverse time, that should have been where he kind of called it. But what I like about this is he has that crowning achievement. He set the history books. He has that record of being the first guy to be double champion at the same time uh, for light heavyweight and heavyweight division. So, I mean, he has that moniker. That's something that he's done first that no one else will be able to do. So I, I think that's enough to kind of put your hat on and, and call it a career. Um, if the guy still wants to fight and he, he's interested in fighting Stipe again and Stipe wants to do what a, a reality that I can very much see playing out is kind of the reverse. What happened last time. Brock gets in the picture. Oh, we're going to have Stipe Brock. They're talking about it. Eight months later, ah, Brock's not going to do it. Let's throw DC back in there or something. I could see something like Where, that. Happen. There's no way they're giving us Stipe and Brock. I don't think. I mean, they, they know why it's so unhappy. Stipe is the goddamn champion again. Stipe is so boring. They literally have the video for his interview with Ariel's bot. Ariel, they break up his interviews into different segments on the YouTube channel. And they try to talk about, like, you know, something clickbaity a little bit. And for Stipe, it just says, Stipe Miosic talks fight with Cormier and wanting to celebrate his birthday. Like, the guy's not exciting to the UFC. And I think sure. if they can get John Jones and Brock, they'll lose their fucking well, mind. Let, let, let's be real, Bobby. That fight you just mentioned wasn't even in the cards until Kurt Angle mentioned it. They talked about Jones. it with, uh, they talked about it after Jones beat DC the second time for the two weeks before Jones tested positive. 
They were talking okay. about that the whole time there. And I think the thing everyone's not paying attention to is look at if they want to do John Jones and Brock at heavyweight, and this is the only way we can entice John Jones into heavyweight. I'm all for it. I've been screaming from the goddamn mountaintops. I want Jones to go to heavyweight so he's challenged. I think and I think Brock is a good welcome, right? Because Brock has big holes in his game that I think John Jones could probably um, manipulate and uh, you know find holes in. It may, mainly when it comes to a stand up, right? I think Brock might have a hard time getting power doubles on Jones, but I'm really interested to see if he could. Because if anyone could, it is Brock Lesnar. I think really you slot anyone on the other side of Brock, you're selling over a million pay per views anyways, whether that's boring ass Stipe or not. Um, and, and I would agree. Like I'm not a big steep a fan when it comes to his personality or his interviews or anything but you mentioned it bobby when we were watching this fight and i think some time needs to pass before we can really put into context but i do think this is at least you know a day after this is one of the best heavyweight championship fights i remember in recent history it had a great back and forth it was non-stop action the whole time um, so I think there's something you could sell Cipe on. He's a fun guy to watch. Yeah, no, to be clear, when I say like the UFC, I mean when I say he's boring, is because he's like he's, he's not, not a good he's not a good interview necessarily. And I honestly, when he started talking after he won, I mean, I someone complained it to marbles in a blender. Uh, yeah, I, to be fair, dude got his face smashed in for about no, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, no, it sounded the same way either way. Dude, I wouldn't even be up. I would be vomiting in a bucket if I took his. No, no, like, look, like, he doesn't sound. He doesn't sound that clear to begin with. That's what we're going True. with. But no, honestly, I think like, look, they put Stipe in those Modelo commercials. Now they can say instead of UFC fighter, they can say UFC champion again. They can change the voiceover again. True. So, and he got LeBron tweeting at him or Instagramming about Stipe. You know, Cleveland only had two champions. It's him and him. There you go. Those two guys. Um. All right. Let's talk about the actual main event. Um, the biggest star on this show, the biggest star in this company. Thank you. Not named Conor McGregor. And I'm including John Jones in that because I've been watching fucking ratings and buys and social media activity with John Jones fights. You're talking it about me, right? Is Nathan Diaz. Oh, Nate Diaz is. There's an article in New York Times about this motherfucker. And halfway through it, I'm like. Oh my God, Nate Diaz is Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> One paragraph in, New York Times is like, pay me money to read my article, Nate Diaz. And I was like, fuck you, New York Times. I can get news from anywhere. I'm not paying you for your shit. Mark, I don't like how different they're right. Um, hey, when I see their article and I click, oh, I want to read this article. And I click on it and they're like, oh, give me money. I was like, this is the internet, wow. motherfucker. Mark, Mark out here trying to get the New York Times for free. What a cheapo. I. I Look, I can get my news anywhere. Well, this wasn't online. news. This is con this is their content. This is opinion. I get opinions everywhere. I don't need their opinion on this. You, uh, but you, you did. You, you tried to website. read it. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, and that's the thing. Is like, I'm going to give you my clicks as an internet person. You trying to get money out of me for a news site? Well, they, they don't. I don't think they have ads on. I think that's what they do in lieu of ads. They have one big ad saying, "Give me money." I'd rather have ads on the side. I ignore. I hate the New York Times. I just. And yet, ruined my, on their website. Ruined my entire fucking flow here. Anyway, Nate Diaz is fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin, guys. He is the anti-hero of the UFC. Um, he fucking might as well came. I mean, instead of clanging beer together, it's weed with Nate Diaz. It was, Mike, it was just good to have him back, man. He showed up to the open workouts. I learned, because when he said it was CBD he was smoking, I'm like, bullshit. But then I didn't know you could just get flour that's only CBD. So, okay. My that, man. 
that gif of him just like in a billow of smoke and like throwing punches. Yeah. Beautiful. That was like the most Nate DS shit ever. Yeah. Um, like he does that. You know, he's he doesn't show up for the media day, which the highlight of the embedded is where Anthony Pettis is like, so he's not here. So so who am I facing off with? I'm still facing off, right? Yeah. Who am I facing? I'm facing off myself. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> Him muttering it's fucking stupid was the highlight he invented for me. Nate Diaz is doing Nate Diaz things. We got the fight. His, he puts his pressure on, man. Um... Anthony Pettis was hitting him at first. Honestly, at a certain point, I'm like, this just looks like every Diaz brother fight. Um, Nate did a good job of wearing Anthony against the cage. Some like Andy, some Randy Couture, some shit going on right there. Some grappling, some clinch work against the cage. Um, going to the body, going to the head. Anthony threw a leg kick, and Nick and Nate checked it. And that, that was kind the of most surprising thing. Of, oh, the motherfucker the broke it. He broke his evening. fucking. He broke his foot on that thing. So Anthony broke. Anthony Pettis' body does not agree with him for how fucking talented he is, man. Um, there was a couple points where I thought Anthony was getting choked. There was a couple times where I'm like, he's definitely going to get choked. And he didn't. So good enough defense there. Uh, he won all three rounds. Marcus just, he looked a little tired at the end. Man, fought in three years, though, for not fighting in three years. A hell of a performance. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, when I evaluate both Diaz brothers' fights, um, I can be a bit critical because I do expect a lot out of them. And there were certain aspects of this fight I was a little disappointed in. I was disappointed Nate didn't use his hands a little bit more. Um, I do feel in the beginning of the first and second round, he felt some of the power of Anthony Pettis, especially in his hands, which, like Steph mentioned in his analysis of the fight, have gotten a lot stronger um, moving up to welterweight. So he... Nick uh, Nate Diaz was utilizing a lot of the kicks and you know that's not a great weapon it's not something that he does a lot of damage with but he's able to you know because he's a very lengthy guy uh utilize his kicks to keep guys at range and like you mentioned before Bobby I think really where a lot of the improvement came in this fight from Nate Diaz was in his clinch work and not just positioning which I think he did a really good job of keeping Anthony against the cage using his head but it was really knees he landed a lot of really strong knees from the clinch which was not really a weapon he was able to utilize very effectively um, earlier in his career. So it was really nice to see, while I would have loved to seen him throw a lot more of his hands and pressure Anthony that way, I feel like him being able to up his game in the clinch is really smart because now what we kind of have is a triple threat fighter where at range he was he, he's usually pretty dangerous with his hands, with his reach. On the ground, dudes a terror on top or bottom. And now in the clinch, he can do damage. We saw in the second round, he basically clipped Anthony with a pretty nice knee that basically dropped him. Um, and really, what we saw in the first and second round, I think the beginning of those rounds were pretty close. Um, I think Nate was putting pressure on. But Anthony, you know, he landed some good shots here and there. He landed a combination with overhand right to a, a high left kick that was pretty sweet. Didn't land super cleanly. Um, but Nate was able to re-get those rounds by taking the fight to the ground and then i think the first and second round getting on top which i think is crucial for his success in fights um and was able to get into multiple positions um unlike bobby i didn't see any parts where i thought pettis was in serious danger he gave up his back a couple times um but how nate likes to ride the back gave anthony opportunities to basically turn into him and get into the guard and i think one thing at the end of the third round which i didn't like seeing from nate um, and this has been a constant um, thing I kind of nitpick on the Diaz brothers is they like to play the bottom 
And they can catch guys on the bottom, but when they can't, they just end up losing those rounds. You can't let a guy be on top of you, and you can throw your legs up to go for triangles and arm bars all you want, but if they keep escaping in advancing position, the judges are going to give the other guy the round. Um, and, and Pettis was able to do some of that in the third, but ultimately, I was really impressed for a three-year stint away from the cage. Um, there's definitely places I would have liked to seen Napier a little bit more active, but he got better in places he wasn't before. So this was an A-plus performance. He needed this win. He looked great in it. Um, and this obviously is going to set up a big fight in the future um, because of his stock. So, I mean, that's next where we're going in the conversation, I'm sure. Yep, yep. Um, Mike, as if I couldn't be any happier. Nate goes out there, gets the microphone, says he's part of the Nick Diaz army. Mother effer. Motherfucker. He's uh, celebrating. He's defending the baddest motherfucker championship. And they asked who he wants to fight. And he said he wants to fight Jorge Masvidal. Because Jorge Masvidal had a cool, cool last fight. And that's what he said about Anthony Pettis, too. He wants to fight guys doing cool shit. And, uh, yeah. People lost their fucking minds. Everybody's in. Jorge Masvidal had a look on his face like he just won the goddamn lottery. Because he knows he's going to get paid. Um, Mike, uh, today Jorge Masvidal said he wants to fight Nate Diaz in California. Um, alternatively, he's willing to fight him in Las Vegas. Let me just ask you this, because it's not even a question about whether we want this fight. I think I asked Steph on this, and he's just like, it was a week or two ago, when he's like, of course I want to see Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal. Who gives a shit about Leon Edwards and Jorge Masvidal? Which is a fair assessment. <laughs> um... If that's the main event of a pay-per-view, does anybody bat a fucking eye? No. No. Um Is there a bigger fight you want to is there a fight you want to see more than that period? At one at 170? Period. Or just in general? Period. Any other fight you want to see more than that? All right. Well, that's uh that's a little misleading, Bob, because pretty much any fight with Nate Diaz, I want to see more than any other fight. Okay. But if you're speaking in terms of levels when it comes to who Nate Diaz is fighting, yeah, Jorge Masvidal is right up there. You know, he's an exciting fighter. He's he's really intelligent when it comes to, you know, speaking and being off the cuff, uh, you know, with the mic. He's very personable. Um, and as Nate Diaz said on Saturday, this, this guy is a real gangster. Like, you know, he's as real as Nate Diaz is, you know? Like, there is no bullshit about Jorge Masvidal. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter put that, if anything, Jorge Masvidal can almost be called a Miami Diaz brother. Where yeah, he's, I mean, he's just we, about that life like they are. Yeah, he's. They both have a degree in not giving a fuck. Um, yeah, that's an exciting fight, Marcus. Um, I wanted to bring this up because I was listening to Luke Thomas, and he mentioned this. Um, how the how Diaz and Pettis essentially book this fight without um without the UFC. They Nate Diaz's camp reached out directly to Anthony Pettis's camp. Um they agreed to fight each other and then they took it to the UFC. Nate Diaz talks about fighting guys who are uh, doing cool stuff. Or do we take a look at it like this Marcus where the man recognized the guy he can beat and that was getting some buzz. Like I'm just is Nate Diaz camp smarter than we think it is 
Well, I, I think for a while he has mentioned that he's not chasing belts, right? That, that's been kind of a motto of his for a while now. Um, and I think ultimately you, you could look at the, the landscape of the people that are in line for a title shot or about to fight for a title. And stylistically, they probably don't match up super great with Nate. Jorge Masvidal absolutely does. I think there's a lot of stars aligning here that just make this more favorable matchup for Nate also just makes sense in the context of where those two guys are. I mean, Jorge could get a title shot, sure. They could give Nate a title shot here, sure. When you really look at their record at 170, it doesn't really warrant that. It's really their popularity would be getting there. Because, I mean, look at Jorge Masvidal had a fantastic performance against um, uh, Ben Askren. He demolished him in record time. But I think it wasn't before that he lost to um, Wonderboy. And Nate Diaz, this is a fantastic performance against Pettis. His last fight, he lost against Conor McGregor. When you look at their records, it doesn't really seem like they should be next in line. But also, stylistically, I think it's a much more compelling fight. I think popularity-wise, it's much more compelling. And honestly, you say the crazy shit thing. I sided with Mike Moore when they when he basically said that he's a gangster. These are two gangsters, because that's how I see these guys. There is... In this landscape of MMA fighters, a lot of them are athletes. Some of them are people that found themselves in the sport of MMA. And there's a handful of guys that are just fighters. If there wasn't UFC, if their MMA wasn't popular, you could see Nate or Nick Diaz or Jorge Masvidal in the alleyway, bare-knuckle fighting for paychecks or something. I mean, that's that's literally the first time I saw Jorge. He was fighting fucking Kimbo's prodigy in a, in a bare knuckle street fight and these are these are just the type of fighters that i think fans gravitate to because like you guys mentioned it's all for the reasons there's there's no bullshit you know when these guys talk they're speaking the truth and they talk shit to each other but it's not for show it's not to garner your interest they don't give a fuck if you're interested in what they have to say or in their fight because if you're not interested in these guys fighting you're just not interested in fighting that's just a fact so they don't have to sell the fight they do that with their actions so yeah i'm super excited for this fight like everyone is it makes sense on multiple levels, even like you mentioned, Bob. Them making it themselves, not going through the UFC brass. Um, and stylistically, I think they match up better with each other than they do with well, the, 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 Pettis, the, Pettis, the Pettis fight was the one that they went around. Right, and with. it seems like this fight is already... The two fighters have already agreed that they're very interested in this fight. Oh, yeah, D- Dana, White, Dana White said... When someone asked Dana White, it said, do you think that's a fight you want to see? And Dana White said... Yeah, isn't that a fight everybody wants to see? Which, yeah, big no shit right there. And I can't remember who said it, but someone said, too, like, it probably felt really good for Nate to call somebody out and to get this buzz that wasn't Conor McGregor. Because even though Conor's the dance partner that kind of raised him to the next level, he never liked Conor McGregor because he got special treatment. He never liked Anthony Pettis because he got special treatment. Let me tell you someone who has not gotten special treatment like Nate Diaz. It's Jorge Masvidal, who no one knew who the hell he was until he knocked out Ben Askren. No one, I mean, look, people knew who Nate was before, but not nearly to the caliber until he fought Conor McGregor and beat them. These guys have built their name from, from the grassroots for us because they were fucking fighters and they had exciting fights and always came to fight. And then they finally reached that that upper echelon of popularity because they beat dudes that were getting a lot of press and popularity that kind of seemed unwarranted to these guys right these are the guys that fight every couple months for years on end and didn't get any of the love or the respect well you know what marcus you're making a good point because uh, people there's this this this, uh impression that you just live in a cage you just exist in the cage with one of these people 
and it elevates you. And that's not the case because some people try to like, people are really quick to discount the Diaz brothers for whatever accomplishment they get. And look, fine. They're not going to be world champions, either one of them. But Nate Diaz called out Conor McGregor four months before that fight when he beat Michael Johnson's ass. And that was a whole viral clip about like he took everything I worked for and all this blah, 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 blah. And then when there was an opening when Rafael Dos Anjos got hurt, Nate Diaz put himself in a position to be called on for that fight. And then he didn't just stand there and become a punching bag. He took, it wasn't, Connor didn't give him anything. He took this. He took this status, okay? And then he wasn't going to kiss the UFC's ass and he made them give it to him again, you know, with proper money this time. So Nate Diaz used Connor McGregor. The same way Jorge Masvidal used Ben Askren to a smaller degree. A lot of Jorge Masvidal becoming Jorge Masvidal is the result of how quickly he did it and the goddamn memes that came afterwards. But it's a matter of taking advantage of your opportunity. And it doesn't mean about acting a fool necessarily, but it's like resonating with the audience on a level that people want to see you fight again. And with the fucking welterweight champion and the fucking, or the interim welterweight, I don't know if Colby's got a belt. If the, with the number one contender in the front row, Nobody batted a fuck. No one even was just like, God, we got to see this guy fight for a championship. Or maybe he should fight that guy. No. They wanted to see two motherfuckers who throw down and have always done so. And it doesn't mean fight recklessly necessarily. But two guys who are go who are fighting like this is a fight. And we've talked about it many times, Mike, where Mark mentioned it before also. There's only so many fighters left. And it's, look, everybody's a fighter in that sense. But... You know, there aren't, there's only so many guys who weren't, you know, D1 All-Americans coming onto this thing or dreamed about being MMA fighters this whole, their whole lives. Yeah. How mad do you think Colby was that, you know, Nate didn't call him out? That's why he was there. Did you see that they asked Nate about Colby at the press conference? Did you catch what, catch what happened? No. What did he say? He's like, who? And then they said Covington. And he's like, man, I don't want to fight anybody who like, he's like, if he's a good fighter, sure. Like, Nate managed to sell it. Like, he didn't know who the fuck Colby was. He's like, if he's a good fighter, I guess. But, you know, I want to fight people who've been around longer than, you know, someone's been popular for, like, up two months. And I'm like, I don't know if he did that on purpose or not. But It, it is entirely uh, possible. Now, you know what? No, Nate, he knows. Nate he's not Diaz this is way smarter than yeah. he gives off. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, look. They can have a welterweight title fight. Like, I guarantee, let's put it this way. They could make the welterweight title fight the co-main event to Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal. And I, I, I don't think people complain that much. I guarantee you this. Jorge Masvidal, if today Dana White came to him and said, hey, here are two options, same day. You could either fight Kamara Usman for the title or you could fight Nate Diaz. He's thinking long and hard about that. Yeah, and I think he picks Nate Diaz. He's taking Nate Diaz, man. Are you kidding me? It's... By the way, that needs to be five rounds, Mark, right? Like what I whatever needs to happen for that to be a five round fight. I need I need Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal to be compensated accordingly to give me a five round fight. I mean, I think you guys hit it on the head. I, I think this is a blunder for the UFC if it's not the main event. I mean, I, I know these guys don't have a belt, but this is a fight that sells tickets. And I mean, look, if they're not the main event, that means the title fight's going to be before them. So that just means the card's going to be stacked. But these are guys that I mean, look, like I think 
part of the struggle with the UFC has been trying to deal with managing their biggest stars. And they've had problems with Nate Diaz. But another problem has been Conor McGregor, right? It's been hard to get him back into the octagon consistently, especially after he had the big fight with Mayweather. I think he should see this as a godsend that he I had. thought you were going to say the old man. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Conor punching the old, the big fight with the old man. Well, I mean, that, that's the other aspect is, you know, he Conor has gone to has, has started to go the route that we saw John Jones, where they get a lot of money kind of makes him seem like he's untouchable. He's making a lot of dumb mistakes that a lot of people that when they kind of reach this level of fame, honestly, there's a lot more eyes on you. There's a lot more daily pressure because you go outside and people just recognize you and want your autograph and want to bug you about whatever. I don't know what the deal with the old man is. That was just his ego getting in the way and doing something fucking stupid, which he's been doing a bit of. But I think overall, it's probably difficult to deal with Conor McGregor. He wants a really high paycheck at this point too. His stock in the fight game is probably lowered fairly significantly because he lost to Habib. I think that rematch makes a lot of sense. But I feel like they should really see Nate and Masvidal's rise to fame as a godsend. They have two stars that honestly, I think I think a lot of the trouble with Nate is getting him fights that he wants and paying him what he thinks he deserves. If Nate, if Dana and Brass can consistently find Nate Diaz interesting compelling fights and pay him what he, he believes he's worth i think you can have a mega star here and i don't think he's going to be asking for you know part stocks in the company and stuff like that he's just gonna be looking for big paydays which we know the ufc can afford because they don't pay their guys as much as they should so i i hope he sees this as you know this is a generation that he kind of has squandered and wasted a little bit with a couple of these guys that are true fighters that can be mega stars. They kind of came into stars on their own, earning it, like you said, Bobby. But he has right now a couple stars. He should put them together in a pay-per-view. I don't recommend this, but he could give us another fucking garbage card and just have Nate well, and, and Mazda you know off the top and we buy it. I think I already figured it out. Um, though, for, let me put this out there. I don't ask God for much in this world. But if you give me Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal in the new Warriors arena or in Oakland or in San Jose or in fucking – what do they call the Sacramento one? Um, Not Arco. The new one. Yeah, some company, right? Golden one. Right. Golden okay. one. If you give me that in Northern California, UFC, I'll say nice stuff about Dana White. I asked God at the beginning. Now I'm asking Dana White. I'll say nice stuff about Dana White <laughs> for like a month. More realistically – they announced Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamy for the 135-pound title. I assume neither one of you remember they've already fought once before because I didn't remember at all that they yeah. fought once before. And Amanda put her down in four minutes. That's happening December 15th. That sounds like a good time for Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, the main event, and get people to watch that fucking fight. I'd love to have this fight before the end of the year. That would be awesome. It's Get it. Hey, man. They'll do it. They know they, I mean, they both seem healthy. I don't think Nate, Nate said if Nate said if the money's right, he'll fight next month. So no injuries. It didn't seem like Nate hurt himself in this fight at all. So, yeah, a turnaround of what, like four months, more or less. That's reasonable. Speaking of money as well, I saw that Nate Diaz got 250K. He had to have been getting pay-per-view. Nate points. Diaz got two comma money. Okay, good for him. Let's be honest, man. Come on now. It took me a hot second to be like, too calm. What the fuck is that? Oh, I get it. I get it. Um, 
they asked Nate Diaz uh, if fatherhood has changed him, which was the part of the fucking article, That's the New York Times article. Like, he has a kid? And, like, he has a kid. I'm like, Nate Diaz has been with his girlfriend for 12 years. I'm like, 12 fucking years? What? And then, like, you know, like, okay, Nate's 34. So, again, Nate's entire adult life, more or less, has been with this woman. And, like, and he has a daughter. And I'm like, okay, how old is this kid? Oh, a few months old or something. I'm like, what? Nate's just a family man? Um, they asked if fatherhood has changed him. And he said, I've been a father for years. Father and all kinds of these little motherfuckers. And that made me happy. That was that was wonderful. <laughs> give Nate props, like props on just keeping his personal life fucking personal. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and that's a decision for all fighters. And I'm not trying to disparage the other guys, but it's like you. I, I watched this embedded. I didn't see her or his kid at all, and I have to imagine that's his choice. He's basically telling, like, look, at, we'll go to the beach and I'll fuck around with Ray's Junior and Kid Cope, and you know, we'll oh, fuck man. around or whatever, but. When it when it comes when it comes to going home and hanging out with my kid and wife, that's that's me time. You you stay away from that. I respect that. Yeah, um, Nate Diaz's post fight press conference was. Well, let's see. I was telling you guys this. Nate Diaz's post fight interview with Joe Rogan was the number one trending video on YouTube, while at the same time his appearance on the ESPN post fight show was the number four trending video on YouTube. Um, the ESPN one was especially enjoyable. Was when. Uh, Cejudo asked him, Cejudo or Chael asked him, how tight was that guillotine? Because Anthony, remember, jumped for the guillotine at one point in that fight, Marcus? Um, and then Nate just goes, what guillotine? And then I'm like, that was good. And the other one was like him talking about his wrestling and like telling Chael, like, man, I didn't even know all these guys in my gym were wrestlers. This guy's D1. That guy's D1. This guy's that. He says, I don't even know what's going on. I accidentally got wrestling. So if anybody wants to learn how to, wants to wrestle with me, come on through. And Chael loved that. That was a highlight for Chael. Man, it's just like, he's one of those guys we're going to miss when he's gone. So it's good to have him back. Man has fucking, like, I don't know, 20-some-odd UFC fights. And he's 34 and took three years off in, the, in, in there, too. Who's the... Who has been the last guy? Matt, could have been Connor, the last guy who came into the ring and had that big a pop because hearing that yeah. crowd, it yeah. was tremendous when he came in and also when he won. I haven't heard a crowd roar like that in a long time. I mean, in lieu of putting a fight card in Stockton also, they put a Mexican kid fighting in L.A. Didn't hurt either, to be honest. No, that was huge. He was the biggest star of the night. It was Heavyweight champion is a new heavyweight champion who pulled a fight out of his ass after being down three rounds. And the biggest star of the night was Nate Diaz. No question. Um, we we talked 45 minutes about two fights. So let's just talk about the, um, Paulo Costa versus Yoel Romero. Pretty clearly, I think Paulo Costa has lined himself up for, B, for uh, a title shot. If not a, uh, honestly, title shot. There's nobody who deserves it more than him. This can't be done. He just beat the number two ranked guy, and number one and number one and the champion are fighting in a month or so in Australia. Paulo Costa won a fucking ridiculous fight between him and Yoel Romero. Uh, Marcus, they just started swinging immediately. They both have good chins. They both just muscles upon muscles. Um, close fight. A lot of people I saw like MMA decisions was split. Like, 12 media members had it for you, for Costa. 
and like 11 had it for Yoel. Remember, you and I had it for Yoel. And no, no, you and I had it for had Costa. Costa. I apologize. Mike had it for uh, Yoel. This round, which this part bothers you because you remember the fight Bar Bernardo. Yeah, the round, right. pe- the round people seem to be debating is the second, because I think what I'm, what I can tell the scorecards are: first round clearly Capallo Costa, third round clearly Yoel Romero, second round you and I gave it to Paulo, and a lot of people thought Yoel won that round. Yeah, and I'll have to rewatch it because yeah, I don't remember that. The second round, all I really remember is Romero getting struck on a lot and making faces, but not doing much after it. Um, you know, reading the analysis after we watched the fight again, I, I guess he kind of took the second half of that round, and, and that's what people are giving him some jabs. And I guess he got a takedown at the end of the round, which I don't clearly recall. Um, but really, it, overall, it was a really exciting fight. This was a big call for Paulo Costa to fight someone like Romero, who is just a beast. And for him to get the nod, he I mean, you can tell Paulo really put all he had into this fight. He he was not one to take it easy. I think Romero a lot was, you know, taking breaks in the fight, kind of gaming it up, you know, sticking his tongue out, mean mugging. And I think he was, which was weird because in the first round, it seemed like he was exerting himself a lot and I was worried he was going to burn himself out. But it did seem in that second round, like maybe he's saving something for the last round, which seemed to be the case. He, he really came alive in the third and I think solidified that round for himself. But the, the first and second round were just very close. And Paulo, I, I think, deserved to get the nod and did. It was a really, it was a close fight. Um, but I think Paulo is right in that conversation for the next person to to get the title shot. It's really just going to be, we have two champions. One of them has gotten hurt fairly consistently. Who's going to win that fight? When is the next title shot going to be available? I mean, available? Paulo better show up to that card, just in case. If yeah, I'm him, I, mean, I, mean, I, I don't sure even I can think make it's, what I think they're... Oh, I see what you're saying. Just in case someone gets hurt, I think that is actually a really good point. But let's say that fight does come to fruition with um, Whitaker and Izzy. You know, after that fight, who knows how long either of those guys are going to be able to turn around and fight Paulo. So, you know, I don't know if it's in his best interest to kind of sit back and wait for the title shot, but he's earned that right. And if he wants to wait for these guys to fight each other and see who comes out the victor and try to be that next person, I think he's earned that right with this victory. Also undefeated. I mean, you know, his his record isn't super long. You know, thirteen and zero is not a ton of fights under, but th- that's a undefeated record, and he's fought in some killers. So he's twelve shot. twelve finishes. This was his first time going, and that's amazing season. too. So first time getting past two minutes into the second round. So the guy went all ever gave us everything he had. Mike, um, you had Yoel, but really close fight. Hard to really argue one way or the other. To be honest, the sure. crowd booing was some Los Angeles douchebaggery. Um, where are we? I mean, Yoel's like 42 and out here somehow passing drug tests. I mean, what do you, what do we got from him? Just see if he can just keep working towards a title shot. Cause he made 140, 84 and a half. He made championship weight this time. Hadn't done, hadn't made weight in a while. <laughs> you know, somehow passing drug tests and supposedly wink, wink, nudge, nudge 42. Um, he lost this fight, but he lost the fight against you know, a close fight against a beast who is now 13 to no um, and clearly going to go fight for the title next. Uh, he lost a close fight. I mean, he's old as shit, but doesn't mean that he doesn't have anything left in the tank. He looked really good in this fight. Um, with a few little adjustments, he wins this fight. So I think there's a lot left for Yoel to do. He's still a goddamn specimen. So. I don't see any reason to think that he's going to call it quits anytime the next few years. 
Uh, we'll have to see. Um, yeah, he's not. He doesn't have that many fights. Like, he started late. Or if you think there's a grand conspiracy about his age, like Mike, maybe he just has a lot of time left. Um, Sadiq Youssef uh, knocked out Gabriel Benitez. That was a fun fight. Derek Brunson fought smart and measured, and that was impressive to see to make them a genetic adjustment. Um, really, just Corey Sandhagen went out there and beat Rafael Sunsau, and he blanked him pretty much on two judges' scorecards. That's just an impressive performance for a young man. Hassan Sao does not lose to people who aren't very, very good. In in the last nine years, Hassan Sao's lost to uh, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Moraes, and Corey Sandhagen. So, Mike, props. You called that one, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, well done there. Um, that was UFC 241, man. That was a good, I mean, the main card was excellent. I got no complaints. Uh, gave me everything I wanted and then some, uh, Mark and I were talking about this, uh, now it's rare for us to have a emotional investment in the fight in the sense that we would be unhappy if one of the opponents, one of the competitors lost and Nate Diaz does do that for us. And DC was to some degree. Um, I wasn't that. I'll be honest, I'd have been far more sad if Nate lost Anthony Pettis. But DC just, you know, is such a good guy. And if everybody hasn't got the opportunity yet to read what Max Holloway wrote about Daniel Cormier um, on Instagram, I believe I shared it in our It's an Amazing group chat. But go take a look at that. He really speaks highly of a man he clearly shows a lot of respect for. Um, the daddest man on the planet still, Daniel Cormier. Um, but big win for Stipe who did a ridiculous dance when it was over, who, and he regrets that, he said. Though it was, well, honestly, good. I was going to say, man, it was the most character he showed. The whole time. I mean, his character has been kind of a doofus that, <laughs> some, it, he he walks that line of like, sometimes it's charming and sometimes it's just fucking annoying. And it doesn't always come out the way he wants. I think, I think when he made that dance, he was going for one thing and saw it later and was like, okay, I kind of, that you know maybe... I enjoyed that part. That was for me pretty entertaining. I did like when they asked him, you came in so light. What was the, what was going on? He said, I'm a father now and I don't want to have a dad bod. And I was like, it's a lazy joke, but my man's making jokes still. Anyway, UFC does not have a card next weekend. Um, in two weeks or in a little bit less than two weeks, I believe we are defending a championship, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, I want to say it is the women's strawweight championship. Yes, it is from Shenzhen, China. Jessica Andrade versus Weili Zhang. Man, that main card starts at 3 a.m. Pacific time. So nice. I will not be seeing that live. That's one of those times you hope the main card is like 10 fights. Only so five. is that like... Saturday morning, 3 a.m.? Friday night, 3 a.m.? Uh, yeah, what day is the 31st? Someone look at a calendar. I think that's Saturday. I don't so know. So real fucking early on Saturday. We're just pulling all nighter, baby. Ah, oh, man. And young, and young, and, uh, you know what? I don't think even I was younger. I'd be like, it starts at 3 a.m. It's going to end no, at 5. That, I, I'd, I'd, more, I'd more realistically just wake up too early. Okay? Um, 
This is a dog shit card, though. Agreed. Just, yes, correct. Just real bad. That's a uh, decent fight because uh, Wally Zhang is kind of an interesting prospect. But after oh, that, I, I hope she wins. It'd be it'd be pretty crazy. I mean, I like Jessica Andrade. Don't get me wrong, but like that'd be fucking nuts. They fight. They, she literally got this title fight because she's Chinese. And she'd be winning it in China. That would be quite a spectacle. But that is a tough ask. Yeah, no, that that girl. I mean, she's pretty good. You know? She's not the, the number one contender. Is Tatiana Suarez? Tatiana Suarez has way more wins. I'm just saying. I don't remember who Weili Zhang beat. Okay, me neither. Uh, Tisha Torres, Jessica Aguilar. There's some she's good names a- on her record. Yeah, Those okay. were the good ones, but <laughs> not bad. Yeah, she got three wins. What am I saying? Um, it's not exactly a deep division. And then the following week, we got Khabib and Dustin Poirier. And uh, we also have Bellator, Bader versus Congo, which may be in its amazing event, depending on if the good people at Bellator are willing to invite Marcus and I back. So we'll see how that goes. Well, what was the last uh, tickets we ever got for uh, Bellator? It's like two, three years ago, right? We looked. Marcus? Yeah, it had been a, it'd been a bit of a stint. Well, honestly, I mean, they didn't run a lot of shows in San Jose during that stretch. And then there was a couple where, like, I wasn't here or you weren't here. But um, all, all seriousness, they uh, they always take care of us, though, Bellator. So we True. anticipate yeah. that. We If we if it doesn't, we're never going to speak the name Bellator ever again. We probably will. Of course we will. Yeah. Um, Man, do you know what I didn't see coming, guys, before we go on? I did not see Jermaine Durand and me getting another title shot opportunity in the UFC this quickly. Like, she had, like, the worst title reign ever. Like, it it made everybody look I don't really think bad. it rained, really. A rain is, I think a rain is at least a defense. I mean, she refused to fight Cyborg. There was only the woman in the division. Was not a good look. I mean, she was she was running from Cyborg in her post-fight interview. Like She right also after cheated she a bunch in the fight. Yeah, there's also that. There was a lot of like, I don't know, she won that fight type shit. But anyway, um, and Manda Nunes already beat her. Uh, did you guys catch? I know Mark did. Mike, did you see the part or the card where they showed Henry Cejudo's goofy ass in the front row? When he was sitting next to and then Uriah. They, and then Uriah's sitting next to him. And then like, I'm like, God, Uriah is such a goddamn, just a goddamn politician. Making sure they got a face off somewhere sitting around in the front row next to Henry Cejudo's out there trying to pick fights with Valentina Shevchenko. MMA is weird these days, folks. Anyway, um, Horiguchi got knocked out in 68 seconds in a non-title fight in Ryzen. Feel we were singing his praises maybe two weeks ago. So it probably should have been a title fight. In fairness to him, since it wasn't a title fight, he was probably like, I could just, you know, I could, I could goof off. I mean, someone wrote, I was trying to find it. It was pretty funny. It was... He was distracted by the aura of killing. That was an explanation from Japanese Twitter as to why he lost. Anyway. um, Wait, I don't get it. I don't get it either, but I'm sure that was a mistranslation. That happened. I think we hit everything that we're going to talk about for this in terms of MMA. We managed to talk for a fucking hour about three fights. Um, Let's do stuff we like. Um, I was watching a bunch of like old shows this week so i may not be the right best person to start this off so mike let's go to you yeah sure so for me it's something that my girlfriend put me on to this past week 
it's an anime that she started watching about a week and a half ago and i started watching it and i'm I'm maybe about eight nine episodes in it's an anime on netflix called the kengan uh ashura uh if you guys have ever seen the anime baki it's very similar in in tone to that one where it's more of a martial arts anime where it's more rooted in you know actual um real stuff even though you know baki is pretty out there as well but you're not gonna see like any energy blasts or you know any bullshit like that i mean in this anime in baki i've seen dudes get shot in the face and like eat the bullets so and follow-up question does your girlfriend watch and enjoy baki she hasn't seen it yet okay uh, that's been, probably that's probably for the best i told her this past week all right if you if you like kengan you're probably gonna enjoy baki uh, by that same vein that's a keeper if you show her baki and she's not like this is some weird macho bullshit that's a good that's a good sign well this show you could almost construe if it was a guy it, like if it was a dude telling me yo you like watch kengan i would have said man you're in some real macho bullshit but it's a it's a good show about macho bullshit fair enough so i'm about eight nine episodes in it has me pretty hooked um the only reason i haven't finished binge watching it is because i'm still trying to get through the boys and i just started mindhunter as well so oh mike there's a lot of things competing for my interest at the moment but i give if i could have three hands i would give three thumbs up for kenga nashida nice marcus what do you got this week man uh yeah um Interesting. I was going to mention Mindhunter season two came out. So uh, I just want to ask you, Mike, did you watch season one? Are you watching it all now or what's the deal? I'm watching it all now. I'm on about episode five or so. Um, I'm on the episode when they start to figure out that there's that sequence killer who's like killing old ladies and their dogs as well. Okay, right. And that's season one. Um, I'm watching season two. It is same fantastic quality and it is kind of a hard show to I guess for me to really describe what makes it so good because it is kind of it, it, it is a show about the FBI studying and learning about serial killers and in and of itself that may or may not interest you I think really where the show really shines is just in the dialogue and how it's written there's a lot of scenes where they're just kind of talking about like BS politics and the FBI and it's always compelling uh, every scene I'm interested in the characters, they weave their own personal stories into these different arcs that they have going on. There's stories dealing with the individual characters. There's their narrative with the serial killers and the interviews they give. There's a narrative about how their little company or their little section of the FBI is kind of seen as like, you know, not really taken seriously. And there's, there's a lot of arcs and storylines going on. And it's all woven together extremely well with just really tight knit dialogue. And it it's just, it's really hard to convey to people just like why this show is just so interesting. Um, Cause I think even with everything I described, if someone told me that, I don't know if it would be enough to get me to watch the show. You kind of have to actually see it and kind of see for yourself to kind of see like why it's so intriguing and interesting. And I think if you have that kind of that ping of interest in, into true crime and serial killers and kind of, what that mindset is like and what they think and feel and why they did the things they did that are so awful. Um, this show is really interesting because it really dives into that stuff. 
Um, so outside of Mindhunters, which I've also been enjoying, I think we're on episode six or so of season two. Still, the quality has not dropped off at all. It is super good. Um, hasn't been a lot of games. There's not a, a lot of games coming out this week. Um, probably the most notable one is Rad. Um, also this week is Gamescom, which is kind of Europe's big E3 equivalent. Um, there's a lot of announcements uh, today that happened. Um, probably the biggest one was PS uh, Sony has bought Insomniac. Insomniac are the dev- devs behind most recently Spider-Man, but also the Ratchet and Clank series, Resistance, and Sunset Overdrive, which was an Xbox One exclusive. So it was really good. Um, Sony to they've been a lot of people consider Insomniac to be a second a secondary party for them. They don't own them like their first party studios. They're not a third party like EA where they basically just have partnerships to release their games. Um, they're a little bit more tight knit. Um, you might even remember Sony made a Ratchet and Clank movie a couple years ago. Um, it's just nice for them to kind of actually wrap that deal up, um, especially after Spider Man was such a huge hit. It would have been really shitty for them to lose insomniac to microsoft and have to have another dev take that franchise and try to move it forward or even just kill that franchise because they did such good work with spider-man um the only game i really wanted to recommend is kind of an old one uh there's been a sale on playstation for the last month or so it's kind of like their big summer sale they had a bunch of vr games on there i've been intrigued with creed um rise to glory i think is its subtitle this is basically a vr boxing game i obviously like combat sports i obviously love video games when the two come together i'm usually very intrigued um one of my favorite arcade experiences is this game called mocap boxing which is very much like a vr boxing where you don't have a headset on but you do have two gloves and the arcade cabinet actually has six monitors or motion trackers and you basically have to move and dodge punches and throw punches back to basically win these boxing matches and creed is very much in that same vein and there's a couple game gameplay mechanics i actually like a lot more in creed than i did in mocap boxing kind of what kills you in mocap boxing is that once you've damaged your opponent enough to knock them out on occasion you have to you get into this mode called a rush mode where you have to throw a lot of punches very quickly to knock out your opponent and I think this is just really some arcade bullshit because mocap boxing, if you're as good at it like I am, is a physically fucking exhausting game. So much so that when I started looking into the machine and like, you know, where could I pick this up? Where could I buy it? I read a story because I played it at the Disneyland boardwalk. They have like this little boardwalk of bullshit shops in between Disneyland and California Adventure. And one of those places, not surprisingly, is the ESPN zone. And they have a bunch of arcade games there and it's a sports bar and grill and Mocap Boxing is one of the big games they have there, and I played it there. And I read on a forum that this lady's husband died from cardiac arrest after playing Mocap Boxing. And it's probably because it's bullshit rush mechanics. So you have to throw 60 punches in like 60 seconds. And after your fourth or fifth opponent, you, you all you do, all I do is just shake my hands back and forth, acting like punches to, fi- uh, to kind of negate that part of the game. But uh, Creed doesn't have that. It has a lot more kind of ducking and, and, and moving around and blocking punches with your hands, which mocap boxing doesn't really do super well. Um, so I've been really enjoying that. So that's kind of the, the game this week, but mostly this week. Oh, Mindhunter, Creed. And then lastly, I did want to mention me and Steph went to Silicon, um, Silicon Valley Comic Con. And personally, as someone that went to comic conventions when I was in grade school with my good friend Bradley, um, we used to always go to WonderCon, which is kind of San- was San Francisco's big comic convention. 
Um, when they were remodeling the convention hall they had it in, they temporarily moved it down to Anaheim. And I was like, well, that's shitty. But hopefully when Moscone Center gets you know, built back up, they'll bring it back. And they just, stayed. They just <laughs> stayed in Anaheim. And it's just like, you, you already have Comic-Con. It's the biggest comic convention. You don't need WonderCon there, too. I need WonderCon up here. So, um, In fairness, San Diego's got Comic-Con. San Diego, is, Anaheim, that's the same shit as far as I'm concerned. Man, it's like two hours, but fine. Okay, Just <laughs> like San Francisco and San Jose is the same, which is a lot closer, uh, to be fair. But, um, yeah, so there has been a lack of comic conventions, of high-quality comic conventions in the Bay Area. Me and Steph, like, three years ago, went to the San Francisco Comic-Con, which was a fucking joke. They wanted so much money for your ticket, and they had so little there. I never felt more screwed out of a con before in my life. Um, the year after that, um, I went to Silicon Comic-Con, and their it's, price it's tickets... <laughs> just, just funny you would say that, because normally you are getting screwed out of money in a con. Oh, oh, yeah, very true. This is a convention, though, not just a con-con. It felt like a con, though, Mike. I felt literally when I went there, there were so many people there because we all bought into it, and we go in this little hall, and there's, like, 20 booths at the most. It's like, I almost paid $100 to come here. Like, why? What is this bullshit? So when we went to Silicon Comic Con the next year, I was a little wary. They were also asking a pretty heavy ticket price, and I was like, I got kind of got burned by San Francisco, but I want to try this. The first I went to Silicon um, Comic-Con, I was kind of blown away. Um, it is a really good con. Um, last year, me and Christine skipped out on it. We had wedding stuff going on. It was just like, it, you know, we don't have money in the time to kind of be going to cons and stuff like that. We even, Christine's an artist. We were even thinking about having a booth at Silicon Comic-Con. It was just too much at the time. Um, so uh, when this one rolled around this year, we were very interested in going. And I can say... Honestly, I've been to a handful of cons as a kid. We, me and Steph and Eddie, um, we did go to Comic Con one year about like I don't know, probably like seven years ago or something. Silicon Comic Con is the best comic convention I've ever been to. This last year was my favorite con I've been to so far. Um, even that being said, a lot of the exhibitors, I, I used to love going to uh, WonderCon because a lot of comic um, stands would just have boxes and boxes and boxes of graphic novels, all 50% off, and I found so many cool, badass comics that way, and that's kind of why I go to cons. I really want to find these dudes selling half-off graphic novels, and there was basically none to be found at Silicon Comic Con. I was pretty disappointed, but I did find one booth where the guy was doing it, and it was I was so happy just to see him doing it, but not only was he selling them at a half price, he had them in alphabetical order. And I've never seen this before in my entire fucking life. Anytime I've gone through these boxes, it's just a hodgepodge of whatever they could throw in there. To have it be in alphabetical order was so awesome. To, for him, this one vendor to be like the only person doing that stuff was just really cool. There was so much cool stuff going on at this con. I, I really enjoyed it. And it was kind of funny when we were actually... It's kind of a maze to get into the con. We bought our tickets online. We had to go to a registration hall, go through this big-ass line to get our uh, our wristbands, then to go to the main hall to get in. But I have to say, Christine pointed this is out, and many other people pointed it out after the fact. When we were in the registration hall, there was no people guiding the lines. Like, okay, everyone turn here. We're going to loop. Everyone just filed up in the systematic way all by themselves. Christine said, like, I'm so proud of our nerds. Look how organized we are here. And I was like, yeah, that's, I mean, we're all adults here. We, we get how to get in the line. But other people mentioned it too. And it's like, you know what? That was kind of actually impressive that all in and, and the whole day, I've been to a lot of cons, didn't smell nearly as bad as most of the cons you go to. People were super polite. 
it was just overall, like I said, one of the best cons I've ever been to. Um, I highly recommend if you're in the Bay Area in the summertime around Silicon Comic Con. It is worth the high ticket price. It, the tickets were expensive. Saturday single day pass is fifty dollars. That's a lot of ask, especially when my main motivation of going there is to buy more comics. But I thoroughly enjoyed my time, and it was really fun. We went with friends. Stefan was there with his niece and nephew, Jack and Ori, and that was really fun to get to hang out with them a little bit. It was just a really good time all around. Can't, um, couldn't have enjoyed it more. Okay. I mean, I really, yeah, I watched a bunch of old shows. Like, so I got nothing this week. Well, what'd, um, you watch? what'd you watch? Come on. I watched like Flash from like a season ago. Oh my God, that's kinda... so old. Well, I mean, I mean there's, talking... there's a dude that that is constantly waning and waxing about how good Frasier is. I'm expecting Cheers level stuff when you're saying. Well, dude, I, I honestly, I was. You were gonna say you were watching like the Flash show with John Wesley shit from 1990. <laughs> no, dude, I was, dude, I was running Thank errands. You. I was trying to clean my shit up. I just had this stuff off in the background, so I really didn't watch any of that stuff. I started watching Glow. I enjoyed that. Nice. Yeah. Um... So much of what's Rocco's modern life, though. I keep wanting about. to, and I keep thinking, like, oh, it's a movie. It's kind of, it's only 45 minutes long. It's not much longer than an episode, but it's kind of been like, eh, I'll get to it eventually. I do want to watch it. I got such a high thought of Rocco's modern life in my head right now. Like, I really liked it. And that's probably not as good as the show really was. It holds up. Part up. of me, it does? Oh, yeah. I, I watched it not that long ago. I mean, It's a cartoon from the 90s. So there's a lot of weird stuff, but I still think it holds up. Okay. So... Don't be sober is what you're saying. Gotcha. Oh, uh, um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, we're back next week where we're going to preview one fight. Exactly. Jessica I and Drudge. We almost kind of did in this show. So. I mean, I'm probably thinking, was there betting odds, actually, for that one? No. I know I told Mike we didn't need best fight odds after he wanted to have it up this hard thing. You know what? It's not that big of a line. It's minus 185 for Jessica and Drudge. Huh. Anyway. We'll talk about that next week. Um, see if anything else is going on. Uh, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. We should all be back next week, assuming the flu doesn't end Kid Presentable. Until then, that was DJ Mark. That was Lavender Gooms. I'm Dr. Law. See you guys next week. Peace out. See, see you guys. <laughs>